of all the things Jesus could have prayed for, his prayer for his people was this, may they be one as we are one. I find it interesting that that would be his prayer as he's getting preparing them for the moments that he will no longer be with them. Uh, He could have prayed that, hey, God, allow them to just take hold of the mission. Allow them to be equipped for the mission. He could have prayed, God, help them to resist temptation, right? These are important things. Uh, He could have called them um, to a lot of things and prayed for a lot of things. But Jesus prayed that they would be one uh, as we are one. And I just find that interesting. And the truth is that Jesus knew that if they were to be one, that they would be more equipped to do the other things, that they would be more equipped to take hold of the kingdom, that they would be more equipped to resist temptation, that they would be more equipped to carry out uh, the mission if they were together, if they experienced this oneness. Now, oneness seems like a tall order today, doesn't it? In the climate that we live in, it seems like oneness is, is out of fashion, especially when division and polarization seem to be the norm. It may just be that our differences are more pronounced today, or it might really be that people are drifting further and further apart. And there's this very evident cycle in our world, in our nation, in our generation among people. And we see it every day. We see it in social media. We see it in our interactions. We see it in the news. We see it uh, play out time and time again. And it goes a little something like this. It's differences. And we all have differences, right? Differences are inevitable. We're going to have differences. But often those differences then give way to disputes, which eventually give way to division. And there's this tendency inside of us to be drawn into this cycle because this cycle surrounds us day in and day out. Our tendency to divide over differences, though, is nothing new. And we know this because Paul's letter to the churches indicated that he was concerned for their unity. He was concerned that they be one. And I'm sure that this same cycle played out around them, and his caution to them is, listen, though the tendency might be to divide, my challenge to you is this, despite the pull to be divided, we are to be united. And so this is his call to them, this is his challenge to them, and this is really the essence of the series that that we've started as we are venturing into some new territory together, as we're now one church in two locations. Uh, the, The call to all of us is that same call that Paul gave to the disciples, and that that is that they might be one, despite the pull around you to be divided, we are to remain united. And so I want to propose to you a different cycle. And it's really a cycle that that we see play out in the scripture. Uh, Rather than this tired cycle of differences which give way to disputes, which give way to division, the Bible lays out another cycle. And so I want to turn back to Ephesians 4 today as we carry on in this series called One. Ephesians 4, 1 through 5, if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn with us there. Um, If you don't, uh, we're going to It's going to be up on the screen. Paul says this to the Ephesians. As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through him and, and through all and in all. And so last week we 
Stephen teed up this idea for us of this common mission that we share, this common Savior uh, in this common mission that we share. And so we discussed our shared calling. When Paul says, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling, we talked about this common mission that we share. To be the medium through which God delivers the message of hope to the world. And that's what we are. We are the medium in which God declares his and sends his message of hope and love to the world. We are Christ's ambassadors, the scripture tells us. We are God's messengers. This is the calling that we have received. So Paul then tells us what is necessary to fulfill this one calling that we share. And that's what we're going to spend time together today is looking at verse 2 through 3, which shows us the thing that is necessary for us to fulfill our calling. And very simply, that mission depends on our ability to be united, to be one, to be together. Verse 2 through 3 shows us a different kind of cycle, despite the cycle that perpetuates around us, which is our differences give way to disputes, which cause division and this growing distance among people. There is a different kind of cycle that we're called to in the church, and we see it right here in Ephesians 4. And that is that we be completely humble and gentle. That we be patient with one another in love. That we make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. And so the new cycle looks a little something like this. It's humility and vulnerability, which gives way to mercy and love, which gives way to unity and community. That's the cycle, friends, that we are called to. So we're going to look at each important aspect of this cycle, and I'm just going to ask a word of prayer that God would reveal to us through the scripture what he wants to reveal. Father, thank you for this opportunity to gather in your name. Thank you for our Savior. Thank you for the one name that is Jesus, which is why we're all gathered here this morning. Thank you for the opportunity to worship you, God, and now to open up your word. We pray that you would continue to reveal to us what you want to reveal to us. We pray that you would continue to stretch us in areas you want to stretch us. We pray that you would continue to shape us in the ways that you want to shape us through the power of your word and spirit. We pray this and all God's people said, amen. So challenge number one is this, and Paul says this as an imperative statement, meaning do this. Be completely humble and gentle, he says. Be completely humble and gentle. And this is a tall order for some of us, right, to be completely humble and gentle. A lot of these things, as you're going to find as we look at this today, these are not our natural tendencies. Our natural tendency is not to be humble and gentle. But the first step toward unity is humility and vulnerability. Philippians 4, or sorry, Philippians 2, 2 through 8 captures this well. It says, therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not count equality with God as something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking on the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness and being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. And if ever there is a picture 
of vulnerability and humility. If ever there is an example of humility and vulnerability, that is it. Christ our Savior emptying himself, humbling himself, denying himself, seeking unity with us by coming to us, not expecting us to come to him, but coming to us to bridge the gap, the distance between us. Jesus moving toward us, closing the distance between himself and us. That is the picture of unity that's really born out of and begins with humility and vulnerability. Humility means we have to stop making judgments from a distance. But isn't that our natural tendency to judge things from a distance, to judge others from a distance without really knowing the full story, to make our own assumptions about people without really truly knowing them, rather than through humility and vulnerability, drawing close to one another, we make judgments from afar. I got this past couple weeks ago, got to go to uh, a UK game down at Rupp Arena, and if you know me, you know I'm a big UK fan, and uh, normally, because normally we would go to games, but I would be like way up and like like at the top, like at the top where you're like squeezed in with a bunch of people and their knees are in your back and you're just like trying to make out. Like I can see which team is which, like by the colors, but I don't really know much more than that. Like I, there's our team and we're doing our, and I, even so much so that like you're like, you had to wait to know if the basket went in based on the crowd reaction of all the people down low. You're like, okay, cool, like we scored. That was awesome, you know. So the atmosphere was awesome, but I couldn't really, from that distance, I couldn't really tell. I couldn't even tell which player was which player, right? I couldn't even see the name on the back of the jersey, the number on the back of the jersey. This past week when we got invited to the game, Kevin and Megan invited us to the game, and their grandfather is a huge U.K. fan, and he's got the good seats. And so we got to sit in the good seats, and from there I'm like, wow, this is a whole different experience. Like, I was right in the action. Like, I felt like I was a part of it. I could see the names on the back of the jersey. Even more than that, if I had yelled out to Tyler Hero, the guy right there, number 14 on the sideline, he could have, like, we could have, like, locked, like, hey, Tyler, it's me, Josh, you know? Like, we could have had some, I could have called out to Coach Cal, who was just paces all over the place, yelling the whole time. Like, I could call it out to him and be like, Coach Cal, hey, hey. Now, they probably would have ignored me, right? But I felt like I knew these guys on a different level. I could see them sweating. I could see when they were out of breath. I could see the way coach reacted after they made a mistake, right? And so there's so much more to take in at that distance. And so it was cool to see what you could see from that range. But the truth is, even though I might have felt like I knew these guys, right, even though I might have felt like, hey, Tyler, what are you doing after the game? Coach Cow, what are you doing after the game? That would be ridiculous. I don't really know these guys. You know who knows these guys? The other guys around the court. You know who knows these guys? The coaches that spend time with them in the locker room, that develop them, that equip them, that know their fears, that know the things that that really get them amped up and ready to play. They know their insecurities. They know their faults. They know their, their, their weaknesses. You know who else knows these guys is the families out in the stands that have sat across dinner tables many and many a times and the friends um, that have become like family. That's who truly knows these people. I, I don't know these guys. And really the point that I'm trying to make here is hopefully really, really blatant. This, is, this shouldn't be some mysterious revelation. Here's the deal. If you really want to know somebody, you have to get close enough to see and be seen. 
And I'm not just talking from the sidelines. I'm talking the best way to know somebody is sitting across the table. The best way to know somebody is sharing coffee with them. The best way to know somebody is to share in the struggle with them. If you really want to know somebody, you got to get closer. Jess and I have really been challenged by uh, this quote that, that really struck me at some point, and we've been, every now and again, we'll just challenge one another with this. And it's a quote, I read this book by Brene Brown that's all about braving the wilderness, and it talks a lot about disunity in our world today and division. And her point is, and the quote that really just strikes me and comes to mind all the time, especially when I want to push people away based on differences, here's what she says, you can't hate people up close so move in. You can't hate people up close, so move in closer. Our tendency might be to push people away, but if we really want to experience the kind of unity that God calls us to, if we want to set a new cycle both inside these walls and outside these walls, we've got to be the kind of people that are, despite our unwillingness to do so sometimes, get vulnerable, practice humility, get out of the high seats and come down closer. Get across the table from somebody that we might know them more. When we started Kyla Coffee House, this was one of the main points of starting Kyla Coffee House. And I tell people all the time, and when we have events, which we had one this Friday night, and the cool thing is you get to interact with all kinds of people, uh, just everyday people. And I say, you know, one of the reasons we started this place was because we wanted to bring people together. And what brings people together? Like tables and coffee, right? What brings people together? And I've had so many cool just interactions in that place back there. I've been reading this book uh, by Chip Gaines, and I don't know, any Fixer Upper fans out there? All right, all right, sorry about the show being, you know, like I wish it was still going. Um, but uh, I got to read his book, and um, he talks about some of the different things that they've done and really what they want to be about uh, as a couple and as a family and, uh, and why they chose to start this restaurant called Magnolia Table. And I don't know if you've seen that episode where they start the, the restaurant, but um, he talks about this cafe that they started and the former cafe was called the elite cafe and the, the slogan was where the elite came to eat right which sounds like a pretty cool it's got a good rhyme to it but they were like that's not our message that's not what we're about and so they decided to obviously change the name and, and, and here's what he said about that he said to us the word elite speaks of separation and divide us and them the haves and have nots I've talked about the dining table as being the place where enemies are lost and friendships are forged where people really hear each other out. Magnolia Table is our symbolic offering to that cause. We hope it becomes a place where people come to the community table. They enjoy great food and actually talk with strangers beside them, where instead of, instead of worrying about differences, they find those precious similarities. Ultimately, we really aren't so different from one another after all. If we could get back to remembering that, then I think there's really some hope for us yet. And I just believe that if we want to continue to carry out this one mission that we're called to, we've got to be a tight-knit group of people. we really got to be willing to know each other well. I had a great conversation with, um, with Courtney Lustig after um, first hour, and she was just sharing just, like, what she loves about Axis Church. And I'm like, hold on, i got to get all this, like, on video or something. Like, she's like, I just love this place, and, and here's why. But at the, at the essence of that was really that this is a place where I feel like I can know people and be known, Right? I'm not just like some, you know, I'm not just another, you know, person sitting in a chair, but there's just this vulnerability and humility that is really happening here, and, and, and what a great place to just get to know people and to grow, and what a great environment to grow in. 
And so I just believe that we've got to continue to build a place here where people, we can see each other and be seen. We can, we can spend time across the table from one another. There's not a lot of anonymity here. Like maybe you're sort of like, I like to just be a chair, sometimes a person just in a chair, right? But there's not a lot of that here, right? We know each other, and, and, and we can need to continue to perpetuate this cycle of in humility and vulnerability, getting to know each other more and more. We've got to continue to pray and ask God to help us rather than making judgments from a distance to help us to see others through his eyes. And I believe the best way to see others through his eyes is across the table, is by setting the table, approaching our differences with humility and vulnerability. Something I feel like God's been challenging me with here a little bit, and speaking of accountability that comes through vulnerability and humility, let me just go ahead and say this. God's been challenging me to say, I, I want you just to, and, and it, for, like this word, like, like open table Tuesday was just like in my mind. And I'm like, okay. And, and I feel like the Lord was just like, Josh, I just want you to, on Tuesdays, just go sit at a table and call it open table Tuesday. Anybody that wants to come on a Tuesday in that morning and hang out. So I'm going to at least for the month of March, to see how that goes. If nobody wants to hang out with me, then maybe I'll just I'll stop. I don't know. But um, just just to set the table and say, hey, I'm, I'm here to listen. I'm here to pray. I'm here to offer support. I'm here to hang out, whatever that looks like. Maybe you just want to sit at the table and drink some coffee. I'm all for that, too. Um, but just want to throw that out there as an open invitation. If anybody um, wants to just come by on Tuesday morning this week, uh, 8 to noon, I'll be hanging out at a table back there, and the table will be open. So come uh, and hang out. And I just feel like all of us need to continue to kind of lead in this way because true connection begins with open conversation. If we really want to be connected together, we've got to begin that with open conversation to, to see and be seen, to practice humility and vulnerability. And this is what Paul instructs us to do. Be completely humble and gentle. The next part of the cycle is this. Bear with one another in love. Bear with one another in love. And you can read into that, bear with one another's weaknesses in love. Because the Greek word for bearing here refers to restraining ourselves toward others out of mercy. Restraining ourselves um, toward others out of mercy. Now, all of us are really, really good. Most of us are really, really good at spotting weaknesses, aren't we? Like, we can spot a weakness in somebody from, like, a mile away. Like, we can see that. Like, did you see... When they did that thing, or man, that person's really got an anger issue, or you name it, we can spot the weaknesses, right? We can see weaknesses in other people, and we can be really, really good at spotting others' weaknesses. In fact, as a trainer, uh, one of my jobs is to see things around the room when it comes to people's movements, right? When people are doing things like deadlifts and squats, my, one of the jobs is to see, right? To see what's going on, to be able to identify, okay, a knee is caving in right there. And if that knee keeps caving in, somebody's going to have a knee injury over time. Or somebody's rounding out a back when they're picking something up. And i got to be able to see that so that I can step into that. And so this is it's not a bad thing to be able to see things, right? The problem is I can't just stop at seeing. And uh, it's funny because sometimes I'll go work out at the YMCA, and uh, over here at CrossFit, I am a coach. I have a title there. Like, I, you know, people know me as, like, in this role to be able to help them. Now, at the YMCA, they're all strangers to me. But I have this difficulty in showing restraint when I see somebody in there doing something that's, like, not good movement. You know, like I'll see somebody load up this big old deadlift bar, and the back is rounding out, and they're just like, boom, ready to pull that thing up. And I'm just like, 
you know, like I'm trying to show restraint, I can't, you know, and so a lot of times I'll just go walk over, these people don't know me, right, I have to, and hey, you, you might not want to round your back out like that, just saying, like just, I'm just going to leave that there, you know, so it's really difficult for me uh, to just, to, to, to just be seeing these things and not saying anything to them, um, and I think we're really good at that part of it, right, seeing others' weaknesses, but are we as good at caring enough to help one another when we're in a weakness, to patiently walk with people, to patiently step in with people, and to show enough restraint to not just spot a weakness or expose a weakness, but actually extend a hand in friendship and and support. And that's what bearing with one another is. It's being patient with one another's weaknesses, right? We're all works in progress. We know this. So it's going to be easy for us to see things in one another. We know that. But are we helping to elevate one another, not just expose and exploit one another. And one of the stories that often comes to mind for me here is Jesus and his interaction with a woman who is caught in adultery. And here the Pharisees are, and they bring this woman, I mean, literally caught in the act, right? Talk about just a vulnerable kind of a moment, a moment of just just being exposed and and being in this moment. And they bring her, and they throw her out at Jesus' feet, down into the dirt, and they say, listen, We found this woman, we caught her in the act of adultery. The law says that we have grounds to stone such women. What say you, Jesus? I mean, you can imagine the trap that they're trying to set for Jesus. Here's what the law of Moses says. We know you're all about this love stuff, so what are you going to do? And so Jesus, just in such an amazing form of wisdom, he stoops down on the ground, he's writing some things. Maybe he's bearing with their weaknesses a little bit to say, give me a minute, right? Like, I'm not going to try not to, like, you know, these Pharisees need to be taught a lesson, but let me bear with them here for just a second. And so he takes a minute, and then he says to them, how about this? Whichever one of you guys doesn't have any weaknesses, you can throw the first stone. Whichever one of you guys doesn't have any sins, Go ahead, you guys, go, whoever, whichever one of you, you guys can start it out. Let's go ahead and get started. Crickets. One guy walks away, next guy walks away, until just Jesus and this, mo- Jesus and this woman are left there. Jesus straightens up, the Bible says, and says to her, Woman, where are your accusers? Neither do I condemn you. Now go and leave your life of sin. Which approach is more compelling to bring out the best in this woman? Mercy. And Jesus in an act of mercy. And this doesn't say this in the text, but I just got to imagine as they throw her down into the dirt. She's dirty. She's exposed. She's vulnerable. And here Jesus is. It's just Jesus and this woman. I just got to believe at some moment as Jesus straightens up, he grabs this woman's hands and pulls her up out of the dirt. Now go and leave your life of sin. And I believe that bearing with one another looks a lot like that, that we are willing to not just expose one another, exploit one another's weaknesses, but we're able to pull each other out of the dirt, back up onto our feet and say, hey, I know you're having a tough time, or I know this is something that you struggle with, but I'm here to shoulder this burden with you, bearing one another's burdens together, resisting the urge to just expose and exploit one another, but instead extending a hand in friendship. Bearing with one another really is taking on this new heart posture, this new posture of the heart that says, I want to get down there with you. I want to help you. Paul uses the same word 
forbearing in the letter to the Colossians when he says, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. So since you are loved by God, let me give you some instruction. Here's what he said. As God's chosen ones, as those who are loved by God, holy and beloved, put on compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience. I mean, look at that list. Let's just stop there for a minute. Does any of that stuff come natural to us? No, but as God's chosen ones, as those who have been flooded with God's love, we can live this kind of way. Compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another. There's the phrase. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. This is the climate, this is the cycle that is ripe for a growing, healthy community. This is how we get closer to unity as we draw nearer to each other. Ryan Arrington, who goes to church here, I had um, lunch with him this past week over at Quatman's Cafe. and We're just hanging out. I just love spending time with him and getting to hear uh, just how life is with him. And one of the things he gets to do, really he sees it as one of his primary ministries, is he gets to coach a team for the Cincinnati Spikes and uh, as he's done that, he's got to walk with a group of kids for like four years. And uh, some of these kids uh, come from home situations that um, are not the best. They, some of them don't have the kind of support. And some of them kind of lack some of that uh, male presence in their lives. And so he really sees it as God's put me in this place to walk with these kids. And one of his players recently, he was saying, was having trouble uh, hitting. He was in a slump. You know, we all get in slumps. We've all had those slumps, whether you're in sports or otherwise. We've gotten into those moments where we're like, man, I just cannot get there. I'm in a slump. And the truth is, when we're in a slump, what's the last thing we need somebody to tell us? That we're in a slump, right? I don't need, I know I'm in a slump. I know I'm not hitting the ball, coach. I know. And so I love Ryan's approach to his, his player. He said, grabbed him, and he said, this is one of the guys that, I know he doesn't have a ton of support, and so my message to him is I've tried to be consistent with him. He grabs him, he pulls him aside, throws his arm around him, struggling to hit, frustrated. How do I get out of this slump? And he just says this to him. Rather than offering any coaching in that moment, he says, hey, listen, I love you. More importantly, Jesus loves you. No matter how you play, that doesn't change. That doesn't, my love for you, Jesus' love for you, it doesn't depend on your performance. So just know that. What happens out on the field, don't worry about that. What matters is that I love you. What matters is that Jesus loves you. You know how he started to do after that? The dude was slugging the ball. He started, it's like this unleashed something in him, right? The pressure of the performance trap lifted from his shoulders. Ryan stepping in beside him and taking that burden and throwing it on his shoulders and just saying, hey, we're in this together. I love you, man. We're going to get through this together. You're going to come out of the slump. And there he goes. He's hitting the ball. He's crushing the ball. And I just got to say, nothing compares to grace and its power to elevate others. Nothing compares to mercy and its ability to unleash the best in other people. And so we better be a group of people that are just dispensing a ton of grace around here, that are displaying a lot of mercy around here. That's all why we've always wanted to make access what we used to call, this is a grace-filled place. You can bring your weaknesses in here. You can bring your struggles in here. You can be in the middle of the slump. We're not going to look at you any differently because of that. And the truth is, if we want access to be a grace-filled place, 
That only happens when the individuals around this room are grace-filled people. And I believe that this is just a grace-filled community of people. And I've been on the receiving end of so many acts of grace and mercy. And I just want to say to you, keep it up. Keep it up. That's the way into our future together. That's the way that we continue to perpetuate this cycle of unity both in here and beyond this place. By bearing with one another. By striving alongside one another. By elevating one another. This is a grace-filled place because we are called to be a grace-filled people. Romans 12 gives us another great template for how we bear with one another. It says this, let love be genuine, hate what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Here's a good one. You want to one-up each other, one-up each other like this. Outdo one another in showing honor. Outdo one another in showing honor. Don't be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in the spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints. Meet one another's needs. Open up your door. Seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Celebrate the wins with one another. And then weep with those who weep. Those who mourn, stand beside them, throw an arm around them. This is the beauty of unity in the church. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay one, no one evil for evil, but give thought to, what, to do what is honorable in the sight of all. And then, if possible, as far as it depends on you, live peacefully with all. That's a powerful scripture. That scripture holds power if we could allow the patterns of that scripture to play out in our lives and in our church. And we're called to continue to do that. I watched a documentary uh, a few weeks ago, and uh, it was about Mr. Rogers, Fred Rogers. And there's some great, I haven't seen the second documentary, but there was one uh, that a guy did that he said, and I forget what the title of it now, but the premise was that when Mr. Rogers is actually your neighbor, and he was actually Mr. Rogers' neighbor, and so he talks about what he learned from this guy and how this guy changed um, his life. And I loved the documentary, getting to hear this guy's life story. And I never really watched, like, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, but Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood was only, like, a fraction of the things, the contributions that he made. And it was all, his entire life's work was built on the biblical principle of loving, loving your neighbor as yourself. He believed that instilling this value in our kids could change the world. He thought that if only people understood that they were both worthy of love and willing to spread it, individuals could do that. More and more people could do that. That is how we change the course of human history. And that's what Jesus was getting at. Love your neighbor as yourself. And Fred Rogers said this one time. He said, there is something of yourself that you leave at every meeting with another person. What if you viewed every interaction as an opportunity? What if you viewed every conversation as an opportunity to leave something of yourself? What would you leave? Let me say to you, may that something be mercy. May that something that you leave behind be the love of Jesus. If humility, which is the first step in this cycle, is, is a new way of perceiving, then the sef- second step in the cycle is mercy, which is really a new way of relating and responding to one another. Then unity and deeper connection is the result of that. If we can continue to do those first two things, we're going to see more and more unity. We're going to see deeper connections formed and a deeper sense of community 
with one another. But we must be vigilant in maintaining, as the scripture says here, the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. That we must make every effort, in verse 3, to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. So that we can continue to experience unity and community in the way that God has called us and wants us to. Now, I have two boys, as many of y'all know, and unity is like, maintaining the unity is like one of the biggest jobs I have right now. Keeping these two dudes alive and maintaining the unity now that we've got two of them, and we got a third one on the way, and I don't know if it's going to be a girl or a boy, either way, we're going to need some unity. And uh, these guys love each other, though, and I just, I love seeing their interactions with one another, but man, there are some times when that when we we're, we're brawling, we're having moments, we're, we're having division in our home, and we've got to call each other back. And uh, Eli, he, the little guy on the left, he seems like very sweet, and he is very sweet, but we call him our sour patch kid, because he's sort of, he can be sour, you know, like the commercial, or he can be sweet, right, depending on the moment. And he's just a very sweet, tender guy, but he's also feisty, and I kind of love that about him. And there was a moment, um, it uh, Mimi's house not too long ago and Aiden shows up and he's got a black eye and I'm like and Mimi's telling me what happened she's recalling the story to me and I'm like oh no like what happened I mean his eye is like looking rough and uh, his little brother did it so they're up on the bed they're having a good old time and then little man goes from sweet to sour and throws a donkey kick into big brother kicks him right off the bed and Aiden's head hits the the side table, and so he's got this big old black eye, and Mimi asks Eli, she says, buddy, was that on accident or is that on purpose? And he goes, purpose, purpose. Oh, I meant it. I meant it. So who knows what led up to that moment, but their brother brother got a black eye, and so all week Aiden got the best of Eli by telling everybody, Eli gave me a black eye, Eli gave me a black eye, Eli gave me a black eye. My message to them, because we're going to have fights among brothers, right? We're going to have fights. My message to them has always been, I'll, I'll, we'll eventually, we'll give it a little bit of time, and then we'll send Eli back to Aiden and be like, hey, go apologize to your brother. Go give him a hug, you know, go get right with bro. Why? Because I want them to understand this message that we always come back together because we're brothers. We always, we're going to have our differences. We're going to have our moments. You're going to wrong me, right? You're going to do something that I don't like very much. But we always come back together because we're brothers. We always stick together because that's what families do. And Aiden said that at the dinner table the other day to me. He brought it up to me. He said, Dad, are you, you talking tomorrow about how we stick together? And he said, we stick together, right, because we're always fam- we're family, right, and families stick together. And so I just want to challenge you as a group and, and as a community. That's our call as a church because we're family. The Bible tells us that we are family. We may disagree on things, we may have our differences, we may even wrong each other from time to time, but we've always got to come back together because that's what brothers and sisters do, they come back together. We've got to continue to stick together because that's what families do, families stick together through thick and thin. And so that's the challenge really out of this text. And this is how the the church functioned in the New Testament, it was Less like an institution and more like a unified family. Acts 2, 44 through 47, we get a window into that. It says, all the believers were together and they had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. 
Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. The believers, all the believers were one. They were together. We've got to continue to stick together. And I'm excited that now we don't just have a family here in Mason, but part of our family is up in Middletown, and we get to come together. We get to stick together. We get to link arms together. All of us together as one church, we get to stick together because that's what families do. We get to give to one another because that's what families do, just like we see in the book of Acts here. We get to spend time together because that's what families do. We get to praise God together because that's what families do. We get to celebrate and rejoice together because that's what families do. We get to, when the moments get tough and we have struggles, we get to come together because that's what families do. And we get to link arms and carry out God's mission together because that is what we are called to do. And as we do this, we will continue to see a new cycle play out. A cycle that the world around us desperately needs. And it starts here. Humility and vulnerability. Mercy and love. Unity and community. And so let me just give you three calls to action as we wrap up today. Here's the first call to action. Very tangible, practical steps. Sometimes a lot of this stuff sort of seems theoretical, but this is real life. The Bible intersects with real life. We've got to step up and actually take steps toward these values. And so let me give you this. Challenge number one, out of humility and vulnerability, let me give you this challenge. Sit face-to-face with someone in this church family that you don't know very well. And that step of even initiating that might feel uncomfortable. Who don't you know? Who do you want to get to know? No other agenda, but just I'd like to know you a little bit better. I don't, I don't know you very well. What would it look like if all of us just said, I'm going to set up one face-to-face with somebody or with another couple or whatever that might look like that I don't know very well. So one challenge this week is out of humility, sit face-to-face with someone in this church family that you don't know very well yet. The second challenge, out of mercy and love, let me give you this challenge. Practice at least one act of intentional kindness and generosity for someone in this church family. It might be as simple as I'm going to write an encouragement note to somebody that I really appreciate, or it might be, hey, I'm going to send a a DoorDash over to their house, or I'm going to, whatever that looks like, get creative in this. But we get to outdo one another in showing honor. We get to value one another above ourselves. And so what's one way that you could do that for somebody Uh, in this church family this week. So out of mercy, practice at least one intentional act of kindness. And then lastly, for the sake of unity, pray that we would be one. And this is not just a one-time thing. Let me ask you to do this, so that we could continue to be together, so that we could go further together, so that we could accomplish more for the name of Jesus together. Through the month of March, let me challenge you to do, do this. Every day at one, pray for oneness. Every day at one, set, set an alarm on your phone at one o'clock and pray for oneness. Even if you need to set a silent alarm, you're in the middle of a work meeting and something's going on. Just, all right, God, like, I'm, you know, where, where'd that guy go? I don't know. He's praying for oneness, okay? So it's all good. Pray for oneness. Pray that prayer of Ephesians 4 that Axis Church might continue to be one in every way that God calls us to be. 
So as we close today, I'm going to ask you to do something that would normally make me feel uncomfortable if somebody made me do it, but I'm going to force you to do it anyway. Uh, In the spirit of oneness, I'm going to ask you guys all to stand to your feet, and we're going to kind of drift toward the middle here and just grab grab hands across the aisles, make sure everybody's kind of linked up here, and we're going to close uh, in a prayer of unity. let's pray. Father, we just give you thanks for this family of people. We thank you and just reach out to our extended family in Middletown today, and uh, God, just pray your blessing on them. We thank you so much, God, for just the people in this room, God. I think about just as we're linked up here together, I think about maybe some of the weaknesses or struggles that people are facing today. Uh, Maybe we're holding hands with somebody today that uh, is carrying something, God. And so I just pray that they would sense just this shared struggle that we're in this together, God. I pray that you would continue to reinforce the spirit of unity within this community of people, God that we want to continue to draw near and near to you and near and near to one another. We thank you so much for your love for us. We thank you for your compassion and mercy. We thank you for how you set the bar high for us and you set the example. We thank you that you went first, humbling yourself, coming down to us, reaching out to us, drawing near to us. God, I pray that this would be a place of unity and community, God, and that we would continue to be able to reach out a hand to those outside these walls, God, that more and more people might experience your love, experience the hope that is only found in you. May we be one, Lord Jesus. We pray in your name. Amen.